Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. The 2022 Formula One season is officially underway. Charles Leclerc held off an early challenge from Max Verstappen to set up victory in Bahrain, and that became a Ferrari 1-2 late in the race when Max had a fuel issue, Carlos Sainz finishing second ahead of Lewis Hamilton. There was plenty of racing on home soil over the weekend as well, with the second round of the Speed Series taking place at Phillip Island. Supercars outcast Fabian Coulthard had a brilliant weekend in TCR Australia with wins in both of Sunday's races. Jay Hansen won the opener on Saturday. In S5000, there were three different winners. James Golding won the first heat, Tim Macro the second, before Joey Mawson held off Golding in the feature race. Uh, it's very close in the Gold Star standings, actually, with uh, Macro leads by one point over Mawson, with Cooper Webster and Golding just another couple of points back. Owen Kelly won the round for Trans Am, and in Formula 4, there was three wins for Valentino Astuti after three typically wild slipstreaming Phillip Island races. The Adelaide 500 is officially back. Peter Malinowskis and his Labor Party made light work of the incumbent Liberal government in South Australia, with the election declared in just a few hours after the voting stopped. Supercars quickly reaffirmed its plans for Adelaide to host the 2022 season finale this December to ensure Big Pete goes through with his election promise. One of the Gen 3 cars is back in action with the Camaro undertaking a shakedown at Queensland Raceway late last week. The early feedback from Brody Kostecki, who was driving the car, was that the ergonomics have definitely improved. Uh, the Mustang didn't take part in the shakedown due to a bit of a COVID outbreak at Dick Johnson Racing, which has slowed down the Tassie prep, um, but the car will be in action at Simmons Plains later this week. And Dean Fiore has been retained by Brad Jones Racing for the 2022 Bathurst 1000, where he will partner Bryce Fullwood in the number 14 entry. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that I would never pass on the last lap to deny a dream first win on an oval, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you? Very well, Andrew. It's a great week to be a South Australian, let me tell you that. I was <laughs> uh, I was actually at the Gabba on Saturday night watching Port Adelaide play the Brisbane Lions and my phone was uh, lighting up pretty hard with the good news about the Adelaide 500. It was... Um, Certainly better news than what I saw in the fourth quarter of that uh, that football game. But uh, <laughs> anyway, you got to take the wins when you can get them. You do. In between watching the footy and uh, keeping a close eye on those election results, did you catch much of the Phillip Island action over the weekend? Anything take your fancy? I, uh, I didn't see every minute of it, but I certainly took advantage of the uh, Stan Sports system that allows you to just select individual races and click on uh, exactly what you want to see, uh, which is quite handy. And I've got to say... That um, for me, the, the standout of that program right now is uh, is Trans Am. The racing at the front of the field there, 
I think is the most entertaining in Australia right now. The way those cars move around when they're being driven on the limit is amazing to watch, particularly at a place like Phillip Island. The category probably doesn't have the depth in terms of talent at the moment, but those top couple of guys really, really turn on a show. Guys like Nathan Hearn in particular, he's super fast and, you know, he doesn't mind doing a bump and run on a teammate to uh, try to get a win. So uh, Mm. for me, that's the unmissable part of that uh, speed series right now. What about, uh, what about for you? Yeah, look, I, 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 the form to see Formula Ford back on the, um, on the, on the, on the agenda there was really good. That racing was excellent, as you expect at Phillip Island. It's pretty hard to have a bad race with a bunch of, uh, with a full grid of those things racing around there. I just, the contrast, and I, I, I hate, I hate to do this, and I've talked about it before, and I don't want to go on about it too much, but S5000 just doesn't look like it's at the races, so to speak. Like nine cars. What's it for? I think Richard Crail in commentary referenced there'll be 17 cars for the Grand Prix, which will obviously look much, much better, but that can't be the exception. That really needs to be the rule. And if nine cars is the rule, then I just I just don't really know where, where it's going. I still just can't quite work out where it's going. Apparently this new tyre hasn't done much for the racing either. Um, last year we saw some incredible racing in S5000 at Phillip Island. This year, like even in that last race, James Golden had a massive speed advantage but he just couldn't find a way past. It seems that we've sort of moved into, you know, front tyres burning out territory if you're following someone, which is which is a bit of a shame. So, yeah, it's um, that's still something that when I sit down and watch all this stuff, I'm just – I think I just – I don't quite know if I properly understand where the future lies for this thing. Did you catch a bit of uh, Fabulous Fabs' work in TCR? Can't believe we only got a couple of minutes into this one before you started a drive-by shooting on poor old S5000. Sorry, I don't mean to do it. I don't. I like the idea of it. I just part of me goes, maybe there wasn't something like this before it for a reason. I know that's a bad thing to say. <laughs> well, as as you sort of reference, I think uh, it'll be good at Albert Park because they'll have a field. It really needs to play those box office big events um, in order to put its best foot forward. But I did watch the TCR action, and uh, here's here's a sense check. Am I have I got the wrong end of the stick here? Or is the racing in TCR, is it too unpredictable and too mixed up? The thing I find with it is that there's no there's no sort of narrative to the to the series. There's no form book. I don't know whether it's like BOP or, or what, but like when the points leader from round one barely gets a mention in the round two coverage because he's just nowhere. Yeah. It's, a, it's a bizarre sort of turn of events and a bizarre series. I think for me, like not having a round winner probably doesn't help um, sort of shape a weekend narrative either. It's just like a whole bunch of crazy stuff that happens and then they then they put them back in the truck. That's I, I could not agree more. I could not agree more. I think sport relies so heavily on a narrative. Like it needs to have it. It needs to have the guys that are good and the guys that aren't that good and you have to have a certain consistency so that an upset actually means something. And, you know, I think there's other sporting – the Big Bash cricket, for an example, is something that doesn't seem to have any narrative and you sit down and watch a game and it might be entertaining, but what does it really mean? Does it really matter who wins? Was it impressive that that team beat that team? And I sort of feel the same with TCR as well. You kind of know this. It's so heavily built on what car is going to work at that track because of balanced performance or because of the car or this or that, but you don't sit there and go – Oh, okay, well, that was a fantastic performance by that guy because you don't really know. And there's probably guys actually doing a really good job in a car that is badly suffering from, 
you know, mm. performance ballast or whatever, but that's not necessarily very clearly communicated. And if you try and communicate it, you run into issues with, you know, being too technical and complicated. And yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. I still find, I've got to say the grid looks pretty good at the moment, like, you know, plenty of cars and it all kind of, it all kind of looks all right, but from a pure sporting perspective, I don't sort of sit there and go, well, this is an enthralling battle because you just it's just so hard to get a read on anything. Yeah, in a way, it's it's a good problem to have. Um, and it's yeah, it, it feels a little rich uh, being critical of something being that that up and down and unpredictable and at the end of the day competitive. But uh, I think on the positive side, having Fabian there and he's confirmed to uh, run the next event at Bathurst as well, that yep. at least it looks like a bit of a benchmark for everyone else now to to chase. I just hope that they don't go to Bathurst and he's nowhere because the BOP's out on the Honda. So, um, yeah, we'll wait and see. Yeah, well, he reckons his motor was pretty good at uh, Phillip Island. So if you can just talk him into leaving that alone for Bathurst, <laughs> he should be uh, he should be all right. Now, as a proud South Aussie, as you talked about, you must be just ecstatic at the drubbing that Big Pete gave the libs to sweep into power. The Adelaide 500 is back. Now, Stefan, I just want to make one point here. Um, there was nothing to split the parties in the polls, and by the polls I mean the betting odds because that's where we get our news from, for quite a long time until we started calling him Big Pete, and then his popularity absolutely skyrocketed. Did we Did we make this happen? Did we bring back the Adelaide 500? <laughs> well, it's probably not quite caught on uh, like, say, the ScoMo tag did, um, but you did start using it the same week that uh, Malinowskis did a media call at an aquatic centre in Adelaide, which uh, revealed he's rather bigger and more muscular than than people knew. So uh, that sure got him a lot of press. So, uh, yeah, maybe it was the momentum he needed. Yeah, I knew it. He heard us talking about it, realised that he is a bit of a big fella and he's gone to town on it. That's that's fantastic. But in all seriousness, this is fundamentally a great outcome for supercars, right? I mean, we didn't quite know what they were going to do about a season finale and this and that. This is definitely gone the right way for the category yeah i mean the whole scenario is just extraordinary like to have a march election impact the current calendar like if that had happened a couple of years ago it would just be the most insane thing of all time but we're so used to calendars changing around that somehow this is like if you don't think too much about it it's half normal that this would happen but um yeah yeah i mean one thing that i noticed was there was a lot of skepticism uh, on social media on Saturday night and into Sunday about whether it's actually going to happen. And I mm. guess that's uh, that's a bit of a legacy of like politicians or journalists reporting promises from politicians doesn't really instill necessarily uh, confidence in the, uh, <laughs> in the uh, fan base. But like, yeah, Malinowskis has reaffirmed after the election that uh, this year's event will happen. Um, my fear with it is that if you rush it back, that it won't quite be full strength. Um, you certainly don't want to see it come back half cooked, but, um, you know, this government seems pretty aware that it needs to be more than just a motor race. It needs all those other elements, including big concerts that, uh, made it great back in the day. So, um, having run big on it into the election, they really need to deliver now on a, on a massive event. I mean, there's plans to restore the the, the SA Motorsport board, uh, Motorsport board and bring back the heyday and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, surely it's fair to assume we'll basically see a supercars promoted 500 in the short term, like for, for this year at least, would you reckon? There's, there's certainly a lot to play out. Like this um, MOU that was signed between supercars 
and Labor has been in place for over a year. But, um, you know, now that the elections actually happen, supercars, I believe, after after Simmons Plains will will go and meet with, with what will then be the government next week to uh, nut out a contract and all the details that go with it. As you said, um, there's been talk of the, the motorsport board being uh, reinstalled, um, which had run the event until 2015 when it was abolished and the SA Tourism Commission took it over, which seemed to be a bit of a tipping point in the event not being quite what it once was. That, that'll all take time to get up and running, though. So, as you say, the Supercars Events Department are very experienced in running these Supercars events. It's sort of a turnkey solution. Uh, they should have some capacity, you would think, because it very much seems like Newcastle won't be uh, won't be happening now until 2023. Yeah, are, we, are we calling that? No, no Newcastle this year? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I believe there's still a very, very small chance that it could be in May, but... That's in the hands of the New South Wales government and Newcastle Council. If, if in the next week or so before the, the deadline that I believe is in place that they want to press the button on it, Supercars could deliver the event in May. But really, I think it's going to be the 2023 opener. That's uh, Newcastle we're talking about there. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, with Adelaide, like one of the big talking points clearly is the infrastructure because the yep. uh, the Liberal government in SA made uh, quite quick work of trying to divest itself of that infrastructure, which seemed a little cheeky considering the uh, pledge to bring it back from the Labor side. But um, I believe a fair bit of it is still there. Um, the The actual three-storey pit building, I understand, uh, was sold to private hands, but it will be made available to the event. So, um yeah, I think that they're certainly not starting from zero, that's for sure. Now, the Gen 3 cars are back in action, or um, or as I said at the top, one of them is, because the Mustang missed out in the shakedown due to a bit of COVID strife at Dick Johnson Racing. It seems a bit of COVID did follow the teams home from Sydney. I think Triple Eight had a bit of a... Uh, Bit of a brush with it as well. Uh, Brody Kostecki is adamant that the ergonomic changes have done the trick. The drivers are more comfortable. Um, the big test will be uh, later this week in Tasmania when the world's tallest man, Garth Tander, drives the Camaro. Um, I grabbed Garth for a bit of a chat about his impending Gen 3 adventure, um, but started out by asking him if he'd found himself a little more invested in the outcome of the SA election last Saturday than he usually would be. <laughs> no, I haven't. Um, so it was interesting. I was in Adelaide on the weekend racing carts with, with my son Sebastian and the way that I found out the election result was through the motorsport press because they were all talking about the Adelaide 500 coming back. So that was clearly that um, the election result went the way that um, the motorsport industry would have liked. So, um, yeah, look, it's obviously a great result for motorsport. It would be fantastic. Um, to see the Adelaide 500 come back, we're all massive fans of that event. And, um, yeah, look, it's um, certainly hope that they can get it up and going by the end of the year and, uh, and, and rebuild its status because, you know, we know how great it is and um, it'll be a good thing coming back. Yeah, I guess, you know, we don't know exactly how to look this year, but for the future, it would be nice to sort of see the effort go into it to build it back to the heyday because, like, you remember the heydays, you know, you raced through that era. It can be just such an amazing event. Oh, I mean, I was really fortunate. I raced at the very first one and then saw it grow to to its absolute peak. Um, and it is. I mean, it's an incredible event. And like every street race that we have now here in Australia and a lot overseas are built 
on the Adelaide 500 template. So, you know, it really is the blueprint for how to do things well. I think it's it's location, it's proximity to the city. I also think the size of the town, the size of the city in Adelaide, you know, a lot of things, like even, you know, F1 at Albert Park in Melbourne gets lost a little bit in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the Adelaide 500 in Adelaide, you know, it, it dominates the city for a week. And um, and that's great for for our sport, isn't it? So, yeah, look, I, you know, to see it, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I'm not sure that we'll see it at its absolute peak in year one. It's they've got 250 odd days or something there is between yeah. the election result and and the end of the championship. So that's not a lot of time to get an event of that magnitude back up and running. So year one might not be as polished as it has been in the past, but you know, for to rebuild itself and and, and maybe even have that identity now. At the end of the championship, you know, we, Adelaide 500 was always the traditional curtain opener. I mean, we saw some epic races to start the championship on the streets of Adelaide. I mean, how cool would it be to have a championship battle come down to the wire at Adelaide, you know, in the last race? That'd be pretty epic. It definitely would. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Gen 3 cars. Are you excited to finally get a crack at the Camaro? I think you were meant to drive it at Winton uh, before that test yeah. was canned. Are you excited to finally have a go on this thing? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I oh yeah you're right I was I was scheduled to drive it on the supercars test day on Tuesday at Winton prior to the first round at Sydney Motorsport Park but obviously they changed tact with the um, the testing program when they they redid all the um, all the seating position and all that in the cars and changed yeah. the gear shift and all the rest of it so that one got postponed and then uh, Adrian Burgess came and spoke to me actually at Sydney and said I need to get you in the car because you're tall so yeah. <laughs> it's not my it's not my driving that he wants it's my height so. I've never actually had that as a race car driver in the past. Someone actually wanted me because I'm tall. So, um, so yeah, looking forward to driving it. Um, I think also driving it at Tasmania, I think will be, be exciting because, you know, big, heavy braking zones. Um, so understand how the car performs in braking and, and things like that. And then um, get a good understanding of the engine performance as well because, you know, from what I understand, it's quite a torquey engine in the Camaro, quite yeah. a bit different to what the five-litre pushrod engine has been that we've used, you know, for a long, long time in supercars. So, yeah, I'm excited. I haven't spoken to anyone too much that's driven the cars because I want to have a pretty clear mind and open mind before I drive it so that I don't have any preconceived ideas. So I'm looking forward to jumping in and having a go. A bit of the feedback has been that, you know, with the less aero, you know, with that that sort of torque maybe given the the power delivery a bit of a – a raw, raw feel. Do you sort of do you feel it could be a throwback to you know some of the earlier supercars you would have driven in your career? Yeah, I, I hope so. Uh, to be honest, that's sort of what the only real thought I have in my mind is I sort of you know the aero has obviously been a big talking point around the current cars and how much they have relative to what supercars had you know back in the day. Yeah. So reducing that's obviously been a key factor in Gen Three. Um, where that is, I don't know, but I would sort of hope it's around the sort of 2004, five, six levels of downforce in the cars. Yeah, where it was enough that you know you keep the cars on the ground, but you could still follow closely um, when you're a car behind. So that's the current problem with the current cars. It's very, very difficult to follow closely. A lot like what we've seen in F1 in the past. Yeah. So certainly hope that um, you know bringing the aero back and actually tidying up the way that the aero is done. I mean. A supercar, current supercar, the downforce is quite dirty. Like the airflow behind the car is very, yeah. very dirty. It's not yeah. very, you know, it's not very polished, if you like. 
So, um, so hopefully just tidying a few things up will uh, will certainly help the racing as well and increase the diff- degree of difficulty because at the moment the cars are very good to drive and the drivers drive them on the limit very hard, but there's not a lot of mistakes that are made. So if the yeah. cars are a lot harder to drive and a lot more difficult, then you know, the degree of difficulty goes up and you see a few mistakes and that can, that can sort of skittle the pack a bit a little and make things interesting racing-wise. Where do you sit on the whole, you know, control components? You know, by the time we get to this car, we're going to be, you know, control um, uprights, front and rear. Like we, the level of adjustability is diminishing. Is that any concern to you or do you think there's still going to be enough adjustability so that drivers and teams can change the cars enough to make a difference? Um, I've heard some drivers say they don't want it to be like career cup yeah. and just very one make, very stringent. And you certainly don't want it to be open book because that just costs a lot of money yeah, and, you, yeah. and and you need a lot of resource for that sort of stuff. So finding that fine line is difficult. The, the reality is that our cars here in Australia need to be more cost efficient to run. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Our economy is not America, it's not Europe, and we need our cars to be efficient to run from a cost point of view because if they're too expensive to run, our sport loses out in competition i mean going to market as i would not want to be a salesperson going to sell sponsorship in supercars because it's hard because our cars are expensive to run at the moment and you're going up against cricket and afl and rugby that you know their running costs are the salary cap and that's it whereas our running costs are keeping the cars on the track so the more cost efficient the cars can be the more competitive the sport can be in the marketplace and that makes it easier for more people to be involved and um Walking that fine line from a technical aspect to keep the cost down is one thing. And also, the punters on the hill don't care if it's got a 1,000-pound front spring in it or a 400-pound front spring in it. Our yeah. sport continually finds a way to, you know, design the best widget in the world. But the punters on the hill and those watching on TV, all they want to see is exciting racing and the best drivers battling it out as hard as they can. And we often get lost in, you know, whether we need this roll bar adjuster or this front upright or, you know, this rear roll centre because that doesn't ultimately doesn't make any difference to the show. And people need to understand that our business is a show business and um, and it's the show that comes first. Well, we haven't got a bad show on our hands in terms of the current season, actually, uh, coming out of Sydney. Um, I guess the big, the big question we're all asking at the moment is, you know, are Chaz Mostert and, and Walkinshaw and Andretti United the real deal? What's your take on that? Do you think uh, Chaz has got a title fight in him this season? Well, I mean, that was one of the questions prior Sydney, wasn't it? Everyone sort of said, well, they blew everyone away at Bathurst. Could they do it somewhere else? Because that sort of form came out of the blue, a little bit of Bathurst. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, could they do that again at another place? And Sydney Motorsport Park wasn't great for them last year. It was okay, but not great. Um, and they certainly showed that they can. They can do it at Sydney. And you've got to remember 12 months ago when we last raced at Tasmania, Chaz won the last race at down at Tassie. I think it was by 10 seconds. Like, he smashed them down yeah. there. So also now heading to another circuit that they have got very good format as well and probably with a better package. So um, can they mount a full championship challenge? Well, two racetracks don't mount a championship challenge. So at the moment... You can't say for definite that yes they can, but the it looks good, doesn't it? Like it looks like they can. Yeah. So um, I think they'll be very strong at Tasmania. 
because of the form that they showed there last year, as will Triple Eight and anyone that has a Triple Eight car because those cars down there have got a very, very strong record, whether it's a Red Bull car or a customer car. So the battle between Shane and Chaz um, will be an interesting one down in Tassie. And then you throw Cam in there and Anton and all the rest of it, and it, it's going to be um, – Tassie's always pretty exciting, but I think it's got a few bit of extra sports this one. Yeah, absolutely. You know the Walkinshaw outfit very well. You were there for a lot of good times. You were there for maybe some not-so-good times, although, I mean, you were still sort of winning races right up until you left. But based on what you know of the place, can you sort of sense the culture shift there as, it, as it, the team re-emerges as a, as a proper powerhouse in supercars? Oh, look, it, there's a lot of very different pe- – there's a lot of different people there from when I was there. Um, but there are still a lot of key people there that were there when I was there also. So, um, yes, you can see there is a culture shift in the, in the organisation. Um there's some different leaders there now, um, a very different engineering group. So um, they have a lot of engineering talent. When you sit down and write all the names down that are in the engineering group at Walkinshaw, there's a lot of brain power there. So um, I think one of the real challenges in that organisation will be actually managing all that and keeping it all under control because engineers are a lot like race car drivers. They want to go their own way and do their own thing. Yeah. And managing that and keeping it all under control when you have so many talented people trying to row the boat in one direction, I think will be a challenge for them. But you can certainly see um, you can certainly see that there's a um, there's a very positive vibe in the place. And hey, look, you've just won Bathurst and you've started the championship well. So it's going to be a positive vibe anyway. It doesn't yeah. matter which team it was if they've got the results they've got right now. But um, you can certainly see there's a determined effort in that organisation to to be more front foot and not be reactive. And, um, you know, it's exciting to see. Now, if uh, this weekend goes the way of Shane Van Gisberg and he can actually uh, pass your wins record and move into fourth on the all-time list, uh, I think he's one behind you and Scotty Mack at the moment. Mm. Do you take any notice of that stuff or does it not really matter to you? Oh, I can't really defend what my, my stats now. <laughs> so I don't, so I mean, even if, one, even if you do, here. even if you do win, he's going to keep winning with you. You know, yeah, like yeah, that's right. last time I won, he won. So we, we even, <laughs> that um, yeah, look, um, look, I think so. I like, I think there's a lot sort of spoken about the modern day stats versus the 60s, 70s, 80s stats. And the current drivers race so much more than than you know your Brocks, your Johnsons, your Alan Moffats, your Larry Perkins, all that sort of era of drivers. So um, I think it's okay to compare modern drivers to modern drivers. I think it's unfair to compare modern drivers to those that were in the early early part of the championship because they'd certainly I mean you know the Australian Serenco Championship you know used to be eight rounds a year and they did one one race a weekend so a lot harder for them than that than it is today and thanks to Garth for his time there now speaking of Garth Stefan how do you sort of see the Triple Eight Enduro lineup shaping up this year like Garth and SVG together seems like a lock I'm still leaning towards J-Dub and Feeney together and then um Craig Lowndes leading a wild card entry. What's your thoughts on how it's all going to shake out? It feels a bit weird that they haven't uh, announced all this yet. Normally, they have the co-drivers pretty much locked in pre-season these days. Um, and yeah, like you say, Garth and Shane is uh, is a no-brainer. And, and the question is is around Jamie. 
I think what you've laid out there is the is definitely the most likely outcome. But there's just that um, that niggling theory that uh, you know a Lowndes Wink Up wildcard would have a fair bit of marketing power to it um, to have those guys running together. So um, we'll wait and see. There's obviously the two Super Two drivers for Triple Eight, Declan Fraser and Cameron Hill, sort of uh, yeah. probably sniffing around in the background too. And if there are you know, three co-driving seats effectively because they'll run a wild card as well. Um, one of those could be a sneaky chance to uh, join the list. Jamie obviously drove the um, the Gen 3 car last week in that test yep. that Brody ran. Um, and I noticed he was wearing a 2021 spec Red Bull suit. So no clues there, unfortunately, if he'd uh, rolled out a 2022 uh, version. It, uh, yep. it would have been great. <laughs> I think he did the ride day at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park as well, but I'm not sure what sort of suit he was wearing. <laughs> Didn't get any uh, suit sleuthing going on, but, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. I'll tell you one thing that uh, Jamie won't want to happen at Bathurst that uh, did happen the other day at that uh, Gen 3 test was uh, the Camaro apparently ran out of fuel while he was in the car. Ooh. Wow. Um, I'm not sure on all the details, but the story goes that uh, he didn't hear the call to pit and they had to uh, go and fetch it from the racetrack. So, uh, that is, that's yeah, a bit unbelievable. Of, bit of a flashback there for him. Crazy stuff. All right, let's take a look around the world. Um, firstly, Stefan, did you see that wild Mark Marquez crash in Mandalika? Like, sweet baby Jesus, that was huge. Yeah, the scariest part is when he says, like, that was, you know, one of my bigger crashes. But <laughs> which he is really have a big one. Yeah, when you when you're coming off high side at 180 k's uh, in a warm up session, um, that's a bloke that doesn't uh, back out of the throttle for much. Um, clearly, there was a lot of people complaining about the Michelin tire choice for the weekend, but it's just um, with Marquez that if he can't feel the grip level, he just seems to keep pushing anyway. So there was a yeah. lot of talk after that about whether he needs to be uh, reined in a bit for his own safety. But, um, you know, I guess if you win eight world titles, you can you can ride it how you like. I guess so to some extent, <laughs> but I reckon he might want to button off a little bit at some point. Anyway, in some wet and wild conditions in Indonesia, it was Miguel Oliveira who stormed to victory for KTM. Jack Miller was fourth, second best of the Ducatis behind Johan Zarco, and Remy Gardner finished 21st. Uh, IndyCar now, and Scott McLaughlin led 186 of the 248 laps at Texas Motor Speedway and went within a corner from winning his first oval race, only to be passed by his Penske teammate, Joseph Newgarden. As I said before, Stefan, I would never do that to you. Uh, Jack Dewan started the F2 feature race in Bahrain from pole, but contact with eventual race winner Theo Porcher meant he needed an extra stop and finished 10th. And William Byron took a first NASCAR Cup Series win in Atlanta. Now, Stefan, I just want to circle back to the very start of the show. Let's chat a bit about the Formula One opener in Bahrain. Here's a little brief update on I think we uh, we learned. Having a Ferrari motor in your car is good. The Ferraris in general are good. The Red Bulls look pretty fast, but like a double DNF for the same issue. That's unbelievable. Uh, it seems that the racing has definitely kind of improved with these new regs. Mercedes aren't right there, but you have to hand it to them for dragging a result out of, you know, what was a pretty underwhelming race for Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. And the McLarens, oh boy, what's what's going on there? Where do we where do we start with all this? 
Yeah, there was a lot to digest. I guess the the headline act should be the new cars because there was so much expectation and talk for uh, for years, basically, about how this would go. Um, and I mean, straight up, it's it's helped deliver a, a great thing for Formula One, which is uh, Ferrari back in the mix. I'm not sure if it's just because I watched all that drive to survive last week, but it really needed to move on from just the Merck versus Red Bull uh, show that yeah. we had in the last few years. So that was that was great to see. And in terms of the racing, I, I do feel like the aero um, helped a bit, um, but unfortunately not for long because if you were running right behind somebody else, the brake temps and tyre temps just went through the roof, which made it difficult to follow anyway. Um, yeah. But I guess kind of the irony was... Um, that it was a track position race. Uh, sorry, it was a tyre conservation race more than a track position race, which is why Red Bull didn't want Max pushing on his outlabs because um, grabbing the lead but burning the tyre out doing it wouldn't win it in the end anyway. So, yeah, yeah there was it was a bit of a complex one there. But anyway, I mean, it gave enough to suggest that the racing's going to be pretty good. Like that battle between Max and, and Charles in the middle was excellent. Um, yeah. DRS has made passing in Bahrain not too difficult anyway, so I guess we don't have the full picture yet, but overall it felt like a pretty good start. Yeah, I think so. It, it, I just I just always think, imagine like going back to 2006 and telling someone, telling a Formula 1 fan, like one day you'll just be desperate to see Ferrari <laughs> at the front, you know, doing really well because – you know, it's one of those things that it's just the way that it sort of cycles around. You get so used to something and then you get so used to it not happening. But it's always good for Formula One. A strong Ferrari is always good for, for Formula One. So that's um that's definitely that's definitely good news. And it's just nice to see, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a shake up. You know, you do because like you say, you do as good as last year was, probably one of the best seasons of all time. Um, it is nice to see something different. And it doesn't feel like Ferrari have necessarily got this completely you know, unattainable. Like they're not, they're not gone in the distance, and no one's going to catch them. The Red Bulls are obviously right there, and they they didn't necessarily get the tire management right all the time. Um, must be frustrating for the driver. You know, you could hear Max getting frustrated during the race when you're so used to just track position meaning so much because it's so hard to get close to somebody um, to sort of have to take on this new philosophy of where you know you could actually, um, if you manage things right, you can actually come out behind someone and end up. In front of them, but no, I think it was a, um, I think it was a great start to the to the new era. Um, I just, you know, it's you sort of, you wonder how long it's going to take Mercedes. I don't feel like they're not going to be there all year, but you know, it could well be that Lewis is not going to be a title contender this year. If it takes him a quarter of the season to get up to speed, it may just slip away from him. But I think he would have been pretty happy with a third. But the McLarens, it's going to be a tough season. Like we talked about, how important it was for. For Danny Rick to be, you know, ahead of Lando this year, he definitely wasn't particularly in qualifying on the weekend. But I think it's it's even more important now because it doesn't feel like they're necessarily going to be fighting for much more than who's the big dog within the team. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping the struggles that they had there might be a bit Bahrain specific because of the demands on on brakes there. I mean, brake cooling was obviously their their drama going in, um, and it looked like their solution to that hurt their overall downforce. Yeah. Um, but Lando was very downbeat after the race. Like he was really talking about them being a long, long way off and taking some time to to get back to being anywhere near competitive. So, yeah, it, it just feels like they're in big trouble. 
Um, and I'm sure the fact that their pecking order with power units um, has switched around and the Mercs struggling a little bit um, hasn't helped them either. No, it's it's funny how quickly that sort of comes and goes because everything with a Ferrari in it looked uh, looked like it was flying, you know, including, you know, Kevin Magnussen and the Haas, which you certainly wouldn't have predicted that that's a team that would be, you know, fighting for top five results uh, this year. So, yeah, it was... Um, it was interesting and what's, you know, I guess what's always good is that and we did talk earlier in the show about how, you know, completely randomised results can sometimes feel a little bit meaningless. But I think because we're at the very beginning of a rule set, you know, there's an order to be established and there is something that you can actually sort of, you know, take from that and and, and it's going to be fun to see how it does all settle down because things are going to change as the season goes on. But it is nice to go, okay, well, we're going to tune into the next race and, not necessarily know exactly how things are going to play out. Now, let's dip into the Castro mailbag. Kyle Ma asks about rivalries in supercars. He says, you know, obviously we need to watch out for social hate and all that sort of stuff, but do we need some more niggle to keep it interesting? Yeah, I, I, I honestly think that we do. I think we need I – th- I don't think we actually need more niggle. I think the rivalries are all there. I think we need to stop pretending they're not, and we need the drivers to stop pretending they're not, and we need the commentators to stop pretending they're not and pretending everyone's best mates and it's just this big bubble of respect out there. Like I I, I, I've, I think we spoke about it last week, like to, to go back to 2019 and David Reynolds and Scott McLaughlin, that was a real rivalry, and even they would get on TV and play it down. Uh, Max Verstappen talking about drive to survive and saying, oh, they're making fake rivalries. What's fake about Mercedes and Red Bull last year? I don't think him and Lewis are going out for coffee together. I don't think Toto Wolff and Christian Horner are having friendly catch-ups for a couple of beers. They ate each other. That's great. They're competitors. It's, it's, there's nothing fake about it. And, you know, there, there are rivalries out there in supercars. You know, it's – if if – I think you can run into trying to create fake rivalries. Like right now, there's probably nothing at the front. I mean, look at Chaz Mostert and Shane Van Gisbergen, not necessarily rivals. They're title rivals. They're not necessarily rivals in any way. So there's no point trying to turn that into something else. But if the if the niggle is there naturally, let's play on it and let's not turn everything into oh well you can't say that because you know you're gonna people are gonna gang up on each other on social media or whatever. That's what sport is. Every AFL round, there's two teams that go out there and they are rivals, even if it's just for that day. You need that in sport. It goes back to what we are saying about TCR. You need established patterns and rivalries. So, yes, I think we do need as many rivalries as possible. Stefan, what do you think? Yeah, hard agree on that. I think uh, one of the problems is in this day and age, like no one wants to be the bad guy and a yeah. lot of that, is about, I feel anyway, is about social media. If you stick your head up and and say something that people aren't expecting or something provocative, you you get slammed, even on your own channels for these drivers. And and no one wants to open their phone on a Monday and just see all this hate. And uh, then they have sponsors and personal sponsors and stuff too that um, can get scared off by it. By that, so unfortunately, that's probably holding some of that back a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but that said, I mean, like rivalries, it doesn't need like petty sledging and you know trackside 
brawls. It just, yeah, it just needs all. How good would, how good would both of those things be? I'd <laughs> love some petty sledges and trackside balls. Not, not every, uh, every week, but it needs those authentic storylines, and that goes yeah. for for teams as well as drivers. Um, like something like the Walkinshaw Andretti United's redemption arc is probably a good example of that. I mean, they're they're raging against this Triple Eight dominant machine that stole their HRT deal. Like that's a yeah. that's a good storyline for the sport to have a team like that on the way back, um, and it's yeah it can just be just as fun as this contrast that there is between the personalities of a Shane Van Gisbergen and a and a Chaz Mostert. So yeah, as you said, the ingredients are there with with the guys we've got. It just needs to be able to uh, come out naturally, basically. It's funny, you know, super, part of Supercar's promo, you know, leading to Tassie has been this, you know, it's Giz versus Chaz. And that's a completely legitimate angle to try and push because both of those teams go well in Tasmania. Like both the drivers are in great form. Chaz leading the championship is a great storyline. It's it's set up beautifully to actually push that angle. And then they post something on Instagram and there's all of these people saying, well, what about other drivers? Why aren't they – like – it doesn't – why are you getting upset about that? It doesn't matter. Like, it's – they're the two guys that are the storyline right now, and that'll change, or it may change or whatever. But you can't have – stick seven guys up there and go, well, who's going to win this weekend? Because it's about, right now, those two guys. And if someone else comes along and springs a surprise, that's great as well. But I don't have any issue with supercars trying to promote the fact that right now, that's where the attention is. They're the guys that we expect right now – to do battle for the championship, especially heading to uh, Simmons Plains where their cars are both likely to be right at the front. Yeah, that's uh, that's the reason to tune in this weekend more than any other. If you're a fringe fan that may watch, may not watch, it's like can can Chaz and Walkinshaw keep it going against against Shane and Triple it's, uh, it's the line they need to push right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Castrol Stars of the Week time. Who's your star of the week this week, Stefan? Well, Scott McLaughlin may not have won the IndyCar race on the weekend, but another Supercars graduate did. Some may remember the name Luke Mason from his time as race engineer for Will Davison at Erebus in 2014 and 15. After that, he moved to America, did a couple of years in NASCAR and then uh, switched to IndyCar with Carlin. Well, this year he picked up a gig at Team Penske as performance engineer on Joseph Newgarden's car, working uh, working alongside, obviously, Joseph and, and the race engineer on that car. So to pick up a win in his second weekend with that organisation, he's my Castrol Star of the Week. That is a very good Star of the Week. Good job on that one. I've gone a little more mainstream. I'm going to go with K-Mag. I've always liked his work. I don't think he's a world champion, but he's just got a cool vibe and he's just rocking back into F1 and finishing fifth seems to... Seems to sort of fit with it. And yeah, that's just, it was part of the sort of fun storylines of the weekend um, is uh, K Mag's return and Haas's sort of return to form. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door.
The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.